Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of Meta Strategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest today is Bill Miller. Bill is the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer of NetApp, a hybrid cloud data services and data management company with revenues exceeding $6 billion annually. In this role, Bill leads NetApp's IT organization, supports the company's ongoing transformation, and works with peer organizations to advance business strategy and technology initiatives. He also directs the NetApp on NetApp and Customer One programs, which help the company's engineering and field organizations use, improve, and showcase the value of NetApp technology solutions to customers, some of whom are peer chief information officers. Bill is also responsible for deploying, leveraging, and innovating around NetApp's new technologies and its partner technologies, producing narratives to underscore the company's value proposition to its external customers. We cover many of these topics and more in our conversation. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to introduce you to our sponsor, Zoho, and the company's president, Timothy Casby. Prior to taking on his current role, he was the chief information officer of a number of companies, including Reliance Industries, Sears, Intrexon, and the Warehouse Group. He's now at Zoho, a most unusual enterprise software company, and wanted to share some perspectives from it. Timothy, take it away. Of over 100 apps Zoho has in the market, Zoho Sign is my favorite. Our product to execute paperless electronic signatures. I don't know about you, Peter, but I seem to sign a lot of documents. Banks, tax, recruitment, vendor-related documents seem to require signatures every single day. During the pandemic, hundreds of thousands of users globally have conducted their business of signing millions of documents electronically using Zoho Sign. Also, we are GDPR and CCPA compliant. Our sign does integrate with dozens of popular systems, both inside and outside Zoho. And as usual, we fulfill the promise of the cloud of bringing to market affordable technology for all. You will find Zoho Sign to be at least 50% less expensive than our nearest competitor, and that can make a dent in your budget. Try Zoho Sign at zoho.com slash sign. Thanks, Timothy. And now on to the interview. Bill Miller, welcome to Technovation. Peter, thank you so much for having me today. I'm glad to be here. It's always a pleasure, Bill. Great to see you. Well, Bill, I, uh, I thought we might begin uh, the logical uh, starting point, your role. You are the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer of NetApp. And I wonder if you could take a quick moment and just provide a bit of a description of how the CIO role, how IT fits in that broader technology landscape uh, of NetApp. Can you take a moment and describe that, please? Sure, I'd be happy to do that, Peter. Yeah, I started with NetApp in the fall of 2016, so I'm coming up on my uh, fourth anniversary shortly here, and it's been a a really thrilling journey, a journey of transformation in so many different ways. Um, You know, the job at NetApp is a little different than some other CIO jobs. It may be similar to some CIO jobs in the Bay Area here, particularly companies who are um, building, designing, deploying IT solutions for IT customers. And I think that's a little bit unique from what some other CIOs do. So my role, Peter, has a bit of a duality, right? I'm expected to design, implement, and align solutions for the business, to run the business operationally, to provide the cybersecurity overlay that we all depend upon, and, and to run our operations for the company and stay current in delivering those capabilities and capacities to our 
internal NetApp customers, but also to many of our end customers. So that's one piece of the job. But the other piece of the job is to be able to deploy, leverage, and innovate around our technologies and our partner technologies, and to be able to produce narratives to show that value to our external customers. So I have a team, myself and my team, we spend an awful lot of time in executive briefing centers and narratives and industry events with customers sharing how we run NetApp on NetApp. So um, there is an interesting duality and it keeps most of my days quite fascinating. I want to talk, talk to you a bit about the whole notion of NetApp on NetApp. As you point out, you are the CIO of a company that itself, in many cases, serves CIOs. And so you are the persona inside that the company uh, targets and often collaborates with on the outside, which gives you a unique perch or vantage point uh, in terms of your ability to approach those very CIOs and do so from a position of empathy, from, from a position of, of being an equivalent, a peer as opposed to simply a salesperson, for example, trying to sell them uh, uh, products from your company. Talk a little bit about um, first NetApp on NetApp, and so the insights you draw um, as being the, the, a primary customer of the company's products, but then how that translates forward as you advise your peers as CIOs and talk a bit about your own journey with them. Yeah, thanks. That's a, that's a really great question. So, yeah, I do get to spend a lot of time at uh, executive briefing sessions with customers. Sometimes I, I am the customer welcoming executive in these sessions. And you're right, you use the word, uh, I believe, empathy there. Um, there's an understanding in what other CIOs and CIO staffs have to go through to implement and adopt and leverage new technology. Um, the only way that I can do that as a CIO of a provider company is to live that experience. And my teams do the same thing. So we have um, rather detailed plans on how we're going to adopt and leverage and benefit from our own technologies and our partner technologies. And I have to point that out because it's NetApp technology with partner brands that we integrate to come up with really eclectic and leading solutions. So I think, Peter, last time we talked was around 2017. Does that, does that sound about right? That's exactly when. Yep. Yeah. We, we talked in 2017. And at that time, we were adopting and running a lot of NetApp platforms as what we call customer one. So NetApp on NetApp is our narratives. That's our ability to explain to our field salespeople, to our partners, and to our customers the value we get out of our solutions. But customer one is us running these installations in production. So we, we live it every day. We run it. We operationalize these solutions. 2017, we were spending most of our time setting up platforms and showing cost advantage and value and efficiencies that we'd achieved with different NetApp platforms and partner platforms running in our data centers. And we were able to then go to customers and say, look, we, we found a 20% efficiency and 80% efficiency in running these platforms in this innovative fashion. And by the way, we're happy to share that with you as a customer and certainly as a partner. Um, where we've come from, though, since then is much more a much more aggressive posture. We've built out an entire operating platform for our company called Cloud One, and it is a hybrid multi-cloud platform that allows us to run specific NetApp workloads that are containerized and mobile and portable in our private cloud utilities and our public clouds of choice. And all of that's connected through a, a very nimble data fabric. And we branded that Cloud One. And at many of our events, 
Um, we stand up and talk to our customers about how we've built provisioned and run this cloud one environment that gives us a lot of flexibility and a lot of choice. So it's been a, a great journey of going from running and, and talking about cost benefits to actually engineering a hybrid multi-cloud world that we can live in. Um, in the last year, Peter, we've gone beyond that. And this, this is really, really thrilling for me. We've built out a full DevOps capability on top of that cloud one instance. I got a minute to talk about that. Can we talk a little bit about that? Please do. I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah, yeah. Dev so when we looked at, at, at operating a company like NetApp, right, we have legacy platforms, uh, applications, we have modern cloud utilities that we can talk about too. And then we have sort of customized software that gives us competitive advantage. And most companies have that. Most CIOs I talk to on a weekly basis have these particular workloads that are very germane and specific to their business. The problem is a lot of those age, right? They get, they get stale. They're in yesterday's technology. They're hard to upgrade because uh, operating systems and databases are no longer consistent with the platforms and the hardware that you're running in a data center. We used our Cloud One capability, our underlying hybrid multi-cloud infrastructure to build a whole application development environment to basically convert a traditional enterprise to a DevOps-ready development organization. We, we, we brought the right people in to do this. We designed it and we purpose-built it. And we moved a couple of our key customer service applications, I mean, applications that faced our end-user customers, and we moved them into micro-code-based um, new software incarnations that get us tremendous flexibility in, in the DevOps modern world. And it's really hard for traditional companies to do that. Look, if, if you're a, you know, if you're a Netflix or an Uber and you're going to start from scratch and build a whole software suite with some venture cap, it's a lot easier to do that in a true DevOps capacity. It's much harder to do that as a traditional enterprise, but we've done that and it's given us great value. And, you know, one of the rare benefits I have in my job of a forward-looking organization like this is I don't have to worry about future apps development for, for in-house custom-developed apps. And neither do most of our engineering teams because they've ad adopted this DevOps framework that we built. And so that's a rare pleasure not <laughs> to have to worry about how I'm going to develop my next generation uh, of internal software applications. I wanted to also get get back to the point uh, that you yours your company has built this ecosystem, uh, which really brings to life a broader value proposition than simply going it alone. And I wonder, you know, a, a great CIO also needs his or her own ecosystem of partners in order to deliver all that that that's necessary to serve the company first and foremost, and and ultimately the customers of the company as well. And I wonder how. Um, I'm, I know, having known you from past uh, stops at Broadcom, for example, I know that right. uh, you have an orientation towards this that, that didn't begin with NetApp. But I wonder if, if within a company that has really thrived by virtue of establishing these these important partnerships, the extent to which that's colored the way in which you've thought about building your own ecosystem in order to uh, ensure that your team is successful. Peter, it's a great question, and it really has um, been a, a theme that permeates everything we do. And, and I'll, I'll talk about it on, on two halves. One half is 
I'll follow up on what we just talked about in building out this customer one, cloud one platform that we run the business on. And then I'll shift over and talk about just our, our daily operating methodologies and how we use partners. So look, we couldn't build something like cloud one. We couldn't build something like our DevOps framework without using all of our partners because NetApp has incredible uh, data management capabilities and storage capabilities, but there's a lot more that goes into it than that, you know, to build out a full suite of platforms. So we leverage customers like Cisco, where we have FlexPod delivery partnerships utilizing their compute. We have Lenovo is a key partner. We utilize their compute platforms. We depend on Red Hat, for example, in their in their containerization and, and um, cloud-ready platforms. So we have lots and lots of partners that we build these capabilities out with. In that basically gives us a large ecosystem of capability. Again, it's around NetApp first, but we bring those partners in to build a complete and total solution. And to your point, we even we even extend that partner framework out to, to integrators. So we've used um, partners that we actually have in our go-to-market organization. Companies like Atos, companies like Trace3 who resell our solutions. We've partnered with their professional services groups to help us build these environments within that app. And then those teams can take that messaging out there to our customers as well. So we're not the only ones selling NetApp on NetApp and our NetApp solutions, but some of our partners can take that from a hands-on experience and take that outside and proselytize that across the industry. So it's really a great ecosystem and it allows me to build a lot of great partnerships that are not only for the benefit of consumption within NetApp, but the storytelling that goes on, on how we deliver these things. And by the way, Peter, when I talk about this, I'm not saying we do everything we do better than everybody else. I think some of the things we do, we do really well because they're narrow and they're focused on the things that matter to us. But our customers do get a lot of value out of being able to contrast and compare what their situation is and the problems they're trying to solve versus some of the best practices that we've built and discovered. But let me say that, that I talked about in the preamble here, the second piece of this is we partner with a lot of great service providers, managed service providers. We have a couple of firms we use, for example, in India that bring us incredibly value cap valuable capabilities for maintaining our IT stack. We have um, today almost 50% of my IT uh, full-time equivalents are in our India location in Bangalore and think of the managed service providers we use as, in India as an extension yet of those teams to get us really effective follow the sun uh, cost-effective labor so it's a it's a wonderful model of partnering both on the inside run the business as well as developing these new uh, concepts and capabilities that we can share with our customers so we completely depend on that ecosystem of partners very interesting. And, and maybe you can take a moment. We're, as we, we talk now, Bill, we're in the throes of the um, COVID-19 pandemic, the um, economic crisis that has resulted from it. Talk a bit about some of the lessons that you had derived here a few months in um, as to the role the technology plays in ensuring resilience of businesses. And I guess a separate question I would be interested in um, what marks do you believe this has that this has had on our our businesses that you that will be indelible? Uh, what has changed even during as as we hopefully before long return to some degree of normalcy? Um, what changes do you think might be permanent? 
Wow, that's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> you've asked a big question there, but you know, uh, I'll, I'll try to answer it through a, a couple of segments here. One is uh, it reminds me of the old um, Yogi Berra quote: "The future ain't what it used to be." Uh, <laughs> right. You know, things have really changed a lot in the last several months, and um, you know, I think we came out of the most heated uh, upturn in the stock markets that we'd seen in a very long time. We started the year in a very, very favorable position. We went into the pandemic, the markets fell apart, people panicked. You know, I think there's been a lot of stress, a lot of emotional pent up stress. We've seen some of that roll over into the streets here and, and frustration and fear. Uh, rightfully so, of, of a lot of people here. And and here we go now, the market's coming back, employment's coming back. So it's been a really dynamic year. And hey, Peter, we're not even halfway through the, the calendar year yet. That's the amazing thing. But I think there are some things to take away from this. I'll leave two with you that I think are, are indelible. One is that real estate is going to change forever, okay? And not just in this country, but around the world. And what I mean by that is the ability for most um, knowledge workers to work successfully from home or wherever they are uh, and do that productively will change the nature of co-located labor and how we look at real estate and how we look at employing people in centers of mass, right? We've already heard many big tech companies come back and say, we really don't anticipate having a a high density occupation of our campuses until the after the beginning of the next calendar year, right? So what that says is there's confidence in the new operating norm. And that will change, I think, our, our distribution of our workforces and our real estate uh, philosophies associated with that for a long term. I mean, there used to be a number, Peter, that was around 150 square feet per employee. It was like a magical number. For, for commercial industrial real estate, meaning if I look at break rooms and cafeteria and exercise areas and cubes, if I could get that into the, into the neighborhood of 150 square foot per employee, particularly in places like New York City and San Jose and San Francisco, where real estate's very expensive, uh, I was, I was going to be best in class. I'm not sure we haven't shattered that with hoteling and work from home and a new business model that we can deliver to knowledge workers in the future. And there's only a handful of industries that are going to be able to probably not quite recover from that, you know, and those are hardware labs and wet chemistry and chemical industries where you kind of have to be there to make it happen full time. But I think we've seen that occur. The second major factor, other than real estate and employee placement, is cloud. And what's really emerged as companies have moved aggressively to the cloud. And I look at our company, and I think we've done some great things to move to the cloud. The cloud has been uh, a real insurance policy for most companies operating through this era of a no-touch or certainly low-touch on your assets because of COVID-19, because of the fear of going into shared workspaces. And we've seen companies that have adopted cloud being able to operate much more nimbly and being able to operate much more comfortably and to be able to be agile around change because of their cloud footprint. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Absolutely. And I could see that as a, as a factor that determines who, uh, 
who now and in the future will be resilient and who will not. Yeah, let me let me give you let me give you an, a, a couple interesting examples here. You know, we rolled out what we labeled. We used a company called WorkSpot, which was a cloud VDI solution. Um, we've we've labeled that the NetApp Virtual Desktop, and we rolled that out approximately a year ago. But we rolled it out for security reasons. We wanted to make sure that contractors and temporary labor that came in and worked for engineering, customer service, IT, other departments uh, that came into the company and touched our intellectual property and helped us manage our business, um, did that in such a way that that intellectual property couldn't escape. You know, it couldn't go out the back door of a managed service provider. So we built this um, NetApp virtual desktop. By the way, companies have been building VDI solutions forever. They've been using VMware, Citrix solutions. They've been setting up data center racks of equipment and allowing outsiders to come into the company that way. The problem is it's not very flexible. It doesn't take into into account locations around the globe. Uh, So we went to a WorkSpot, which is a new totally cloud-based subscription model that allows us to spin up a NetApp virtual um, workstation within one hour. So from anywhere in the world, we can bring in a contractor and having them operate securely and that was the key for doing this securely within one hour. And then we could spin that environment down when that contractor went on his or her way. Um, what we didn't quite appreciate was how valuable that would be in the face of a pandemic. So uh, the example I would use, <laughs> I think is just resonates amazingly, is Peter, we've hired a bunch of Indian new hires around our Bangalore facility. And I don't know if you've tracked the pandemic handling in India, but the lockdown there was more severe than any other place on the planet in the sense that the local police, just because of the number of people that, that were essentially in the streets, the police said you can't go out unless you have a letter from the government that says you can, you can leave your home. Um, so we had employees that could not go to our facilities for a series of quite a few weeks. We onboarded new employees that we could not get a laptop computer to in that period of time. And we're not alone. Other companies had these similar challenges. We were able to onboard employees in India with laptops, use their laptops. In some cases, these were laptops they used in college or at university if they were new college grads. And we were able to drop that NetApp virtual desktop image over the internet onto that device and have those new employees come in and start being productive day one in our business without ever setting foot on campus and without ever having received an asset or having been formally onboarded into the enterprise. That's amazing when you think about the productivity that yields to your company and the flexibility that that yields to your company. Yeah, I think really interesting points that you make. Um, I also wanted to ask you, Bill, as someone who's been a CIO multiple times over, um, and you're saying I'm a repeat offender? Yeah, exactly. So you can't you can't quite break away. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> um, I I I'd be curious. You you've already mentioned a, a number of important aspects uh, to the CIO's arsenal in ensuring that they have a modern, nimble, uh, resilient uh, business. That they have a bit operation, I should say, and that they are facilitating all of the above for their enterprise. 
Uh, you've talked about the the importance and sanctity of DevOps, of, of security yes. practices. You've, of course, talked about data management and, and the cloud. Um, I'm wondering, as you think about other changes that you've enacted as a CIO in your current post and others, uh, what are some of the other kind of weapons, methods, mechanisms uh, that you've put in place to, as best as possible, of course, uh, future-proof the organization? Yeah, I think it it gets back. Thank you for that question, Peter. It's a really great question. And in in our case, in 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 this company, and some lessons I've learned elsewhere, right? Um, and and actually, it's it's more foundational than that. It gets me back to why uh, I, I came to NetApp in the first place, and that was really the drive uh, to to be involved in in pushing the essential nature of data forward. Okay, so, you know, you're familiar with some of the articles were published last year, you know, data is the new oil. Okay, well, right. Well, well, what does that mean? Well, what it means is your business is going to need to leverage its data in any field you're in. It doesn't matter what field you're in. You're going to need to leverage data for competitive advantage. And, and I even talk to mission-driven organizations, Peter, you know, not-for-profits and other organizations that have a strong mission. They need to help serve their constituencies through the data that they have available to them. So, you know, one of the big questions is, how do I, how do I leverage that data? How do all CIOs now take advantage of that critical gem they have in that data that's unique to their company. And uh, I was out last summer uh, talking with Nestle in St. Louis, and I was talking to their CIO and some of their staff, and we were sharing notes, and Nestle said, you know, we're a, we're a hundred and some year old company, and we think even though the world continues to transform, the richness in our data, in that, that historical database of really understanding our customers and what they like and what they want and, and the value in those relationships gives us a strong competitive advantage. And, and I believe they're right. And I believe they've looked at the data the right way to leverage that. So all of us as CIOs have to figure out how we get advantage out of our data and, and get a, a competitive differentiating advantage versus our, our competitors. So let, let me give you an example. We've rolled out at NetApp since I've been at the company somewhere in the neighborhood of about 150 bots using, um, um, you know, using a variety of automation platforms, some of those internal, some of those external. But we've rolled those bots out um, across, I think over half of them are in finance workflows that have been automated, Peter, including our quarter-end closes, so it's very hardened technology that helps us run these bots, 7 by 24 by 365. We've rolled out really interesting bots in legal, in indirect procurement, um, in HR, uh, and a lot of them in supply chain and customer service. Some of these, you know, tying into our knowledge management systems to be able to get customers the knowledge documents on our products they need, all through a very simple interface, and some of this being voice rendered through chatbots. So you talk about what are some of the things that we can do to advance the cause, uh, a capability and adoption of automation tools uh, that allow our customers to engage around the clock anywhere in the world um, at any time to get the information they need um, to, to, to operate optimally. So automation is a big part of this. I believe 
analytics and AI is critical. And we've invested in data science. We've invested in data lake technology cautiously. And we work closely with our business areas, not only to get data, Peter, for reporting and, you know, what happened in the rearview mirror, but to build models through machine learning based on that data of what the cause and effect is that drives certain outcomes and certain behaviors. So that data becomes particularly germane in building predictive models that allow you to understand what your customers are doing, what they need, where they're going, and to provide really helpful client advisory services to those customers. So an an example there would be um, where we've been collecting for, gosh, I want to say close to 20 years, um, telemetry data from storage arrays in the field. So about 80% of our customers allow us to collect telemetry data on their systems, and we do that in a very secure fashion within our business. But what we've done in the last couple years is to build out a mobile, mobile app environment that our customers can use that allow us to look at their configs, to allow us to apply those configs to our machine learning models and to give them advice on the optimal configurations for them and to warn them if they look like they may have some configurations that could cause conflict in their environment or potentially provide for a failure mechanism. So that's really kind of a deep analytic and customer advisory service that they very much appreciate. So they're not only getting storage, they're not only getting data management platforms, they're getting data advisory services that go along with that, that really is a form of delivery of digital transformation for their benefit. Is, is that is that kind of resonate? Does that make sense? It does. It does. That's a great overview. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, good. Bill Miller, I really appreciate you taking time with me today on Technovation to provide a bit about uh, all that you were doing during these times, the exciting uh, developments at NetApp, uh, and sharing some of your wisdom as a as a longtime CIO. It's been a great conversation. Hey, really, really enjoyed it. You know, um, it's it's always great to to talk with you and, and and talk through some of these these changing aspects of what we're living through. You know, I let, let me just leave you with a, a couple of closing thoughts because I do talk. Uh, like you do, Peter, with a lot of CIOs since, since, since I'm a business-facing CIO. And, you know, the things that, that I hear that are probably most threatening to CIOs today in this rapidly changing world that you describe, right? Number one is lack of agility. Can you move fast and, 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 and um, do your cloud investments allow you to move quick and reconfigure quickly? And do you have that kind of DevOps capability? So I think a lack of agility is important. And keeping up with the pace of change of the business, you have to be able to adopt and go and adopt these new cloud-based apps. Some of it, Peter, almost being an MVP model, most valuable uh, or, or most viable platform, you know, some minimum viable platform. Can I get something out there that works today and improve it through time? So this sort of minimal viable product MVP aspect to being able to change quickly. I think the data leverage we talk about is important because I think CIOs are feeling threatened by this inability to move fast enough to a true digital transformation footprint. So leverage of company data in new and creative ways that we just talked about is really important. And then the last thing, and, and I really think we all share this pain, is can we land and inspire 
the right talent to do all of those things that I just mentioned? Can we get the right talent on the team and keep that team inspired to go above and beyond for the business to deliver that kind of agility and pace of change to really result in true digital transformation? I think those are the great challenges of the day. And we've certainly seen the dynamism of the environment we've been working in for the last, call it four months. (laughs) It's been front and center for all of us, Peter, certainly. Well, Bill, thank you so much. I, I appreciate you sharing that perspective and all of your perspectives. It's uh, been incredibly enlightening and, and emblematic of the depth of your experience as a technology leader, as well as the breadth of your network and the insights you draw. So thank you again. It's my pleasure to have been here. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Thursday when my guest will be Jason Ruger, the Chief Information Security Officer of Lenovo and the Head of IT for Motorola's Mobile Business Group.